Tyson, man, I'm glad that you're here. Your story has been so encouraging to me over the years, and so I'm just stoked that more people will get to hear it. And so what was it like before coming to Illuminate? Because somehow you got invited or you showed up here. I, uh, I had only been to church like five or six times, uh, mostly funerals. And I had this really positive, great friend named Chris that I decided to, I invited myself one Sunday morning and Pastor Jason spoke about uh, being born with a speech impediment and now being a pastor of a church and talking for a living. And I was like, well, I was born with a speech impediment, so that's a sign from God, you know? <laughs> yeah, and so I hooked you in and then you were just everywhere, mm -hmm. hanging out all over the church. I was at Young Adults all of a sudden and I was on you know, doing outreach. I was uh, I was on the softball team. Yeah, and I even remember the day that you came to me like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to serve now. What should I do? And we met at press and we were talking through the Bible and the gospel and we decided, hey, maybe you just keep hanging out for another year and get discipled and get poured into and then eventually come into youth and then the conversation happened, you got involved. So yeah, I got invited to do middle school ministry and uh, it was, it was, uh, something that I didn't even hesitate to say, yeah, I'm going to do it, you know, and it's been, you know, incredible ever since. Yeah. And so often you were saying that it was spiritually rewarding for you. And that's kind of when you decided like, yo, I'm serious about this Jesus thing. So then you decided to jump into a pool. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind with that? Yeah. So, uh, it's so funny enough. I had, I, I was like, I opened my phone to check when the next baptism was because I was committed to doing it. Yeah. And then I opened Instagram. I was like, oh, it's, and the first post was Illuminate Communities Instagram yeah. baptism. And I was like, well, all right, there we go. So the one time <laughs> being distracted by Instagram actually yep, worked into it. No, that was so cool. I remember still the day you got baptized. Yeah. Well, it was cool to watch you continue to serve. What would you say to somebody who was like, man, I think I want to serve. Should I serve? It's a time commitment. What is your own experience with that? You know, it, it could be a big commitment, um, but it is eternally rewarding. Um, and it's, you know, the best thing I've done with my life. Yeah, and I know you've made such an impact in so many young students' lives, but you never would have been there had you not met Chris. And so what would you <laughs> yeah. say to someone who has a coworker, a family member who wants to invite them to church, but isn't sure how they'll respond? So, you know, I never was considered like the youth leadership type. And, um, you know, I had a great person in my life that had an impact on me. So you, you might never know who you have an impact on and how you could potentially change their life forever. everybody. Good morning, everybody joining us online as well. Like Pastor Chris said, I also want to say thank you to Pastor Scott and his team for last night. It was just incredible. So many people from the community were here. Thank you to the, all of you who served. Uh, obviously, it doesn't happen without your commitment to buying into the vision of the church and going beyond our walls, being that gift to the community. Thank you for that. Thank you for inviting your friends and uh, your family. It, it was epic. And I also want to thank Tyson for sharing his story because, you know, 
It's kind of like the perfect bookend. You know, here we have this massive outreach event, and then you hear the personal story, the personal side of it, from Tyson himself. And it really represents well what God has called us to do and be as a church. Over the last three weeks, you've heard us talk about bigger, smaller, deeper, the future vision of the church. And I was thinking about how I can sum it up best, and I think I would just say this. We want to take as many people to heaven with us as possible, period. That's what we're about. That's why we're here. In order to do that, it's going to require something from each one of us. Now, the good news is God has actually, in his goodness, given us exactly what we need to accomplish that task. You were created for a purpose, and that purpose is actually much bigger than you think. In fact, when you give yourself to something that's bigger than you, you actually find where true life exists. Jesus put it paradoxically. He had all these crazy sayings. It's like people try to sort it out. You don't fully understand it until you start living it out. But he said, if you want to find your life, lose it. Like, what's that about? Well, what he's telling you is, give it away. Give it away. You want to live life with meaning, order, and purpose, then you're not going to be the one that sets your own agenda. Because ultimately, what that leads to is a life of selfishness. Self-centeredness, and that's not what gives you life. That actually robs you of life. Give your life away in service of something that's bigger than you. Imagine if everybody on the planet took the words of Jesus seriously. I guarantee you the world would be a very different place beginning tomorrow. So in God's goodness, he's given us all that we need. Time, treasure, and talents. Now, I mentioned it a while back, but it's worth repeating. There's a really fascinating survey Americans were asked about their regrets, the things they regret most in life. The results were fascinating. When Americans looked over the, the, the short amount of time, when they looked over the past, like, like just a 24-hour period or maybe the week or even a month, the things that they regretted the most were taking action. Basically, it's like, well, last night I, after dinner, I wish I, I wish I wouldn't have had like two pieces of cake. I really shouldn't have done that. I regret taking that action. But when they look back over the years, it's different. What we regret is inaction. In other words, it's this this sense that, you know, I, I had an opportunity to change careers, but I didn't take that opportunity, and now the opportunity is gone. And here I am all these years later, and I feel kind of stuck in the same situation. Or I had this opportunity to pursue a relationship, but at least I didn't even go for it. And now that opportunity is, is gone and the relationship is gone. So when we look back over the years, we regret inaction. So doesn't it make sense, since the Bible speaks to the realities of life, Jesus actually tells a couple parables about this, about action and inaction. He, he tells a couple stories. That's what a parable is. A parable, think of a parable as a short story that packs a profound punch. He talks about missed opportunities in life. He says the reality is so much of our lives are based on the decisions we make, the actions we take, or the actions we don't take. And Jesus himself was an opportunist. In John chapter 12, he says this. Jesus said to his followers, the light is among you for a little while longer. When he talks about the light, he was referring to himself as the light. So he's like, hey, when I'm on the planet here, I'm only here for a short amount of time, 30, about 33 years, right? He had a public ministry for about the last three years of his life. So he says, while the light is here, while I'm with you, make the most of it. 
Walk while you have the light because darkness will overtake you. It's interesting. Jesus kind of divides the world into two categories. You have light and dark. You have good and evil. You have the powers of darkness, right? You have these satanic forces and you have God's forces. And that's how the, the world wants to divide us in so many ways. The Bible basically says, here's how things are divided. You have light and you have dark. That's it. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. So while you have the light, believe in the light. It's Jesus' way of saying, believe in me while I'm with you. You're going to see the miracles. You're going to see some supernatural stuff. The exclamation mark on my entire existence is going to be this thing called the resurrection. That's, we've talked about this at great length. There is, there's really no good reason for Christianity to be around. There's only one plausible, plausible, reasonable explanation. That is Jesus did what he said he was going to do. So while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. God is building this family. So when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So essentially what he's just saying is, I, I want my followers to take advantage of every spiritual opportunity that they have. And then he begins to launch into a couple of parables in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, it's really interesting because these parables come in response to a question, really important question. His followers, they get the sense that he's going to be leaving but then Jesus says, I'm coming back. Now, how do we know that Jesus is going to come back? Well, think it through. No reputable historian doubts the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, he came once, he's going to come again. So his followers are a little tweaked about this because they're like, okay, we're not so sure it's a good idea for you to leave us here. And when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And his response is kind of cagey because he doesn't give them a specific date, or time, and I think for good reason, because if Jesus said, let me just tell you, I'm coming back on this day, this year, specifically at this time, because then what would happen? All of his followers, all of a sudden, we would start to look really busy, right? Like everybody would be in church the weekend that Jesus returns, you know? It's like Jesus is coming back. <gasps> look busy, everybody. Look like you're doing some stuff. He doesn't give a time. Instead, what he says is, be ready for it. Be ready. So he tells a couple of parables. The first parable is about these 10 ladies. They're waiting to get married. Five of them are waiting. They're expecting, and they're, they're all prepared for the wedding. Five are not. They're kind of going about their business. They haven't done what they should be doing. Then all of a sudden, the grooms arrive. And five of the wives-to-be are actually gone. They're kind of out doing their own thing and not really thinking about the arrival of the grooms, and then the grooms show up, and half the ladies aren't there. That's a missed opportunity. Then Jesus makes a couple of sentences that are going to connect that parable with the parable that follows, which is actually a very famous parable. And the two sentences are basically this. He says, well, that's kind of like my return. Not going to know exactly when. So here's the point. Be ready. Be ready. How do we ready ourselves? Well, the next parable reveals it. He says, essentially, you're going to wait, but you're also going to work. You have specific responsibilities. And that's when he launches into the second parable. And so we're going to read it together. We're going to read all the way through, and then we're going to make some, uh, some relevant observations. So Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus says, for it, that is, my return, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like a man that goes on a journey. He calls in his servants. And he entrusts to them his property, the things that he owns. So to one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each he gives, but according to his ability. So the, the owner of, of the things, he understands who his 
servants are, what they're capable of. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, and he trades with them, and he makes five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had one went and he digs a hole in the ground, and he hides the money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. And he says, Master, you have given to me five talents. Here, I have made you five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made you two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, he comes forward. He says, Master, I know who you are. I know, at least I think I know, what kind of man you are. You're a hard man. You reap where you did not sow, and you gather where you scattered no seed. In other words, he says, you know, you were a, you're a good investor. You yourself are a fantastic steward. I know you to be like this. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And he returns the one talent. But his master answered him, and he said, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're like, wow, what's going on? That story took a turn fast. <laughs> so let's make sure we understand it. Clearly, Jesus is the owner. Right? He owns it all. The time away is Jesus' time away. Now seated at the right hand of the Father, but will return. The servants, well, that's us. That's us. And so the story would make perfect sense back in the day because this was a common event. An owner might have to travel to do some business far away and a long trip. This could be a year or longer because transportation travel was so much slower back then. So while the, the, the owner is gone, things have to be taken care of. Things have to be maintained. Servants have to be paid. Uh, crops have to be planted and harvested. Animals have to be cared for. Why? So that investments can be made so that there can be money generated in order to keep things going. So this would be very understandable in Jesus' time. Uh, what's interesting is that the word servant here, the Greek word for servant, actually describes someone who is highly, highly skill. And so each one of these servants has what it takes to produce something in return. 
But notice that the man knows his servant so well, he knows what each one is capable of and then gives accordingly. Now, lest you think that the one-talent servant uh, doesn't, have, uh, doesn't have many skills or is, isn't as qualified, understand that a talent was a unit of measurement back in the day. And it's the equivalent, equivalent of roughly 100 pounds. So if this talent represents 100 pounds of gold, that is a crazy amount of money back in the day. Probably more like silver. Silver was the most common form of currency. So even if it's 100 pounds, one talent is 100 pounds of silver, that's still an extraordinary amount. That's a lot of money to entrust to someone. So this tells us that each servant is capable of very significant work for the owner. Now, it's super obvious that the master is Jesus. As he distributes, knowing what each is capable of, realize that we're not all the same. Some of you are five-talent people. Some of you are two-talent. Some of us are one-talent. That's okay. God understands it all. And he's working to form what kind of talent you might have. I, I've shared this with you before. One of the first jobs that I had was at a pool supply store. Right? And people would come in and have their wa- to have their water tested. And you know how it works. They have a little, you take the water, you put it in the little shaker, if you add the chemicals, five drops of this or whatever, or a couple of tablets, you shake it up, and then it turns the color, turns the water a certain shade. And then you hold it next to the chart, and that indicates where you need more or less chlorine, it gives you the water hardness, all these different tests, right? But because I'm horrible with colors, I couldn't read the color chart. And so I'd be shaking it up, and I'd hold up the chart, and I'd be like... Oh, interesting. And I'd look at the customer and I'd say, what do you see? (laughs) Well, it looks like, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. See, and it it was less like embarrassing and I knew I couldn't do it, but you know, it's like you have too much pride to say, hey, I can't do something as simple as test pool water. But eventually I had to tell the boss because, you know, too many people were calling in with complaints. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, this kid, this is, you know, you, you need to get him out of this position. So what happened, though, was that actually led to a kind of a promotion. Because I was young, but I was one of the few guys in, in the store that had a clean driving record. That meant that I could deliver patio furniture, which was the most coveted job because it got you out of the store. And if you're out of the store, man, you can screw around all you want. You know what I'm saying, man? You know, oh no, the customer wanted this. It just took longer than we expected. You're stopping at Circle K, picking up big gulps. You know what I mean? You're just out of the store. And I remember my coworkers, they got mad at me. You know, they're like, how did, I'm stuck here in the store and you get to make deliveries? I wish I could make deliveries. I'm like, yeah, well, I wish I could dress myself. I would trade spots with you in a second. Isn't that how so much of life is? You never know what God is doing behind the scenes to enable a person to do what they do or even to acquire, to have what they have. But here's the thing. We love sticking our noses in other people's business. 
So the parable is really profound just on that level because it's like, hey, God knows you. So if you have five, great. If you have one, cool. It's all good. It's, it's fine. Notice that the five and two talent servants, they hear the exact same words. Great job. I knew you could do it. So now this one talent servant, this guy is highly, highly skilled. Not a lot of servants, but he was one that was chosen to handle a lot of property, wealth. This is very significant. So the question is, what has God placed in your hands? Because God clearly will give you everything you need to do what he has called you to do. So now, isn't this interesting? Because now we look at the things we have, our time, our treasure, our, our talents, skills, abilities, gifts, and, and we, we want to submit those things to God's greater purposes. Everything that we've been given by God is ours so that those things can be used to give back to him in service and ultimately to advance his purposes. Now, here's what's really interesting. He's not going to give a five-person talent one talent. He's not going to give a two-person talent one talent. All of that is under God's jurisdiction. Be content with what you have. Now, with responsibility comes accountability because each is accountable for what they've been given. So the man with five talents, he's like excitedly comes before the master and he says, I've got you five more. This is like the guy, it was, it was um, I think it was John Calvin that, that, po- that uh, popularized the idea that a talent is not just in this context uh, a, a, a weight of money, but it, it has to do with your passions, your gifts, uh, everything that makes you you, right? Um, and, and so we don't, again, we don't all have the same things. Um, for example, some of you have had some incredibly unique opportunities in life either through your education or the people that you know, you've been given experiences, you've been given um, things that just other people haven't been given. So it's, it's like every time, with everything, every time you read the Bible for yourself, even your ability to read, that kind of sets you apart in the world. You read the Bible, the fact that you have the Bible in your own language. I was at the, just at the Museum of the Bible uh, this last week, and it's crazy. They have so many shelves of languages that, are, that represent books that have yet to be, uh, languages that have yet to be translated, and these people don't have the Bible. So you, your ability to read and your ability to read the Bible in English, even that, that's a gift to you. You know, it's like, what do you do with that? Every time you sit under some solid preaching, it's like you're receiving all these gold coins, you know, and you've got so many of these gold coins. Like, okay, now what are you doing with these things? So this guy's got five talents. He says, look, I've given you five more. And there's a sense that he looks forward to this accountability. I think that's great. You know, it's kind of like when your kid does something. It's like when he draws a little bit of art and, and you're just like, that's the most beautiful piece of art I've ever seen. It's drawn at the hands of a five-year-old. And you know what? It's going to take center stage where? On the refrigerator. And you love it. And he can't wait to share it with you. That's kind of the sense that, that, that I get here. So uh, you would think that maybe there could be some pride within five talent people. And I, and I want to say this because the fact of the matter is I've been in a lot of places, met with a lot of different people, been in a lot of different churches like many of you. And the reality is, in my opinion, this is a very talented church. This is a multi-talented church. Probably more so than most. Why is that? Well, that is by God's design. The temptation is for talented people to become prideful and greedy. 
And so what's really interesting is, is that it's like this guy views his success as dependent on what has been supplied to him. You catch that? That's really important. Because when you view your success as a result of what God has given you, it absolutely becomes the cure to your pride and your ego. Let me say that again. When you view your success as a result of what God has given to you, it's an absolute pride and ego crusher. And there's no room in your life for success to become your idol. And we see, we see that a lot in our neck of the woods. I like what uh, Tim, Timothy Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He describes the idol in this way. He said, more than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are godlike. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap means no one is like you. You are the best. You are supreme. So this is great because here in this parable, it tells us the cure for our pride is to see what God has provided for you. So this is the way it should be for every believer, to come before the owner and say, thanks for entrusting me what you have. Thanks for that responsibility. I've taken it. Now I've given it back to you and more. But then there's this one talent guy. This is where things get really interesting. In fact, the whole story turns kind of dark. In the end, this one talent guy doesn't really know the owner because he describes the owner with a really interesting Greek word. The word is skleros, from which we get our English word sclerosis. And if you're a doctor, what is sclerosis? It's a a hardening of things, right? Something sclerosis, that thing is hardened. And so it's not really a compliment. He says, I know you are a skleros kind of man. And because of that, I was intimidated, and I was afraid. And so I grabbed a shovel, I dug a hole in the ground, and I buried 100 pounds of wealth. So I guess you could say you're kind of partly to blame for my deficiency. I was frightened of you. And what's interesting is the owner sees right through this and he gets to the heart of the issue because he describes the one-talent servant in just a word. And he says, actually, no, that's an excuse. He says, you're lazy. Isn't that interesting? He says, you're lazy. And the proof of that is the servant's own words because he said, okay, you, you know who I am. You know that I reap where I don't sow. You know this about me. This was an expectation. So you actually do know me and what is expected. So I'm seeing right through the smokescreen of your excuse. And hey, listen, probably not a great time to play the role of victim. Victimhood is big in our society right now. Because the problem with uh, playing the victim role is that it removes any personal responsibility that you actually might have. And Jesus sees right through it in this sense. Uh, he says, here's what you could have done. You could have done something as simple as walk to the bank. Maybe it's a half mile, a mile away. And you could have taken the money and just handed it over to the bank. You could have got a certificate of deposit. What's it out right now? Like 0.0001% return, you know? Well, here's the deal. It's something. It's some kind of return. And you were capable of doing that. 
But you didn't even do that. You didn't do anything. You took it, you buried it in the ground. And that was it. So rather than look in the mirror and be honest in assessing himself, he puts the blame on the owner. So clearly that doesn't work with God because God sees right through it. So this is a wasted opportunity. When I think of wasted opportunities in the Bible, probably the greatest example of a wasted opportunity was this guy named Judas. There's a reason why we don't name our kids Judas. This dude had a front row seat to the life of Jesus. He saw the miracles. He participated in all of this. He was one of Jesus' closest followers, called personally. He was in charge of the money. That's how gracious Jesus was. And then later we find out he was taking the money. See, he was greedy. He had skills. He himself had talents. But he used those talents to advance his own agenda. And ultimately, he became so greedy that he sold Jesus out. Bad move. When you sell out the Son of God, that's a pretty low place to be. Wasted opportunity. So what's amazing and kind of, you know, one of the things that keeps me up at night where much is given, much is required. And guys, we have been given a lot. And by God's grace, we have been stewarding things well. So much so that God has been adding to our number. So this last year, we've seen crazy amount of growth by the grace of God. So with that comes responsibility. So as a church family, as we continue on this path that God has for us, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is my responsibility in light of what God has entrusted to me to advance his kingdom? We have some inflection points, right? That's why we've listed them right there on this little sheet here, you know? These are some of the main needs that we have. As, we, as a result of growing quickly over the last year, we've been in greater need of people to step up and use their talents, their skills, their heart, their passion. So we've listed some of the more pressing needs that we have with our children's ministry, our youth ministry, weekend services, facilities. By the way, let me be quick to say that anybody who volunteers or serves in our kids' ministry or our student ministry gets a, an absolute thorough background check. But the other thing, the blessing about serving is this is the place where you're able to make friends within the church community. So I would ask you to prayerfully consider how you can help support in one of these areas. And then secondly, you know, by the grace of God, you guys have been so incredibly generous. As I said last week, we were able to purchase this building, a church that was only five years old, to be able to purchase this building uh, last year. Now we have the opportunity to make it our own. Many of you have been asking, well, what exactly does that mean? And what does that look like? And so three weeks ago, I threw some pictures up on the screen, but realized I did that too quickly. So I want to do that again and just kind of walk you through the spaces as we do make this our permanent church home. And each one of these redesigned spaces represents the needs that we have as a result of God adding to our number. So I'm going to throw the first picture up here for you. So we're pretty far along in the process. As I mentioned, we've got an architect and we've uh, come up with some renderings and drawings. And so this is kind of what the front of the building will look like. You can see it's a, a much more welcoming space. That lobby area through these doors will be expanded and blown out. There'll be an indoor, outdoor kitchen space that'll accommodate even more people on Sunday mornings. Got another look at the front of the building. This is it kind of from the side. If you'll notice that space off to the right, 
That area we're calling the patio. This is, again, an outdoor gathering space. We lose some of those parking spots right along that area to expand this space, but we gain some over here by adding them in the loading dock. So if you can imagine people coming and just kind of hanging out in this area, and we'll have some doors that, again, for the eight months out of the year where it's nice, it'll uh, improve our traffic flow, and you can just kind of envision all that this space will do to further connect people into community, which is one of our core values. Even the spacing is designed around our core values. You can go to the next one there. And uh, so you can see it's got seating, place for people to hang out and mingle. There will be some doors there that roll up, again, accommodating that indoor and outdoor space. Go ahead and go to the next one. Give you some details on what's going to happen. This is phase one. We talked about the bottom space down here. This is the new and improved and security-enhanced children's area. By the grace of God, it's super fun to see all the kids running around this place. I love it after church. They're running on the chairs. and The, the kids own this place, which is exactly the feeling that we want. So the hallway, we'll go back to it for a second, please. The hallway will be a little bit wider. The children's check-in space will be much bigger and enhanced. You notice now that we've got a main area. This is the secure area. It's kind of a one-way in, one-way out in that children's check-in area. There's a common area for the kids to gather and, and do some things together. You can see all the sizing uh, and the details off to the right, but it's all expanded area. This is right where our offices are now. Phase two will be upstairs. That'll be youth. We will move all of our offices upstairs. Um, that's, that's what will be coming next. Go ahead and go to the next one, please. This is a little rendering of what that check-in space will look like. You can see it's much bigger, and then it opens up into really what will be this children's center for us. So we're super, I'm super excited about this. Go on to the next one, please. The other really cool thing in this space is right now, guys, we have a, a room for a special needs ministry, and it's really quite small, and it doesn't accommodate them well at all. And so we're going to create uh, their own space. They'll have a room that is much bigger, including a bathroom that is connected, and it will be an adult bath, and it will have all the necessary things to take care of special needs, not only young, but uh, adult age special needs as well. And they're going to have their own fenced outdoor area, which will be safe uh, and designed for them uh, as well. Next one, please. And I mentioned this three weeks ago. This is the most exciting thing for most of you. I don't need to say anything else. We go from two toilets to a whole bunch, guys, okay? Yeah, you can see the entrances. Yeah, you can get some cheers for that. It's fine. It is cool. Got a, a nice little mom's nursing room uh, right there off of the women's bathroom as well. Can also serve as like maybe a, a, a cry room. Um, but all of that's going to be expanded there. We've moved the entrance to the women down a little bit so it doesn't get congested as, as families are coming in, dropping uh, their kids off. So it's just a much better design that accommodates the life and ministry for the Illuminate family. Do we have another one there? I think, nope, that's it. So now having shared with you all of that, I want to share with you uh, something that we've been sharing with some other people and, and they have encouraged us, hey, listen, you need to let the church family at large know these details. And my apologies, we haven't done a great job at describing what has been presented to us as a super unique stewardship, speaking of stewardship, stewardship opportunity for us as a church, and it has to do with the financing of this building. And so in order to do that, I'm going to bring up our elder, Earl DeFratis, and he is not only one of our elders, but he's also 
the treasurer. So he's going to describe something that none of us have really ever heard before. What do I know? I'm not in this business. But the guys that have been, they, um, and Earl was really the one to spearhead this, and you don't have because you don't ask. And so we just asked, and the bank actually was willing to accommodate us. And uh, there is a timeline to it. It runs out December 31st. So Earl, go ahead and uh, give them the nuts and bolts of this opportunity. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Sounds like I have an echo here, but um, so good morning, everybody. Uh, so as Jason said, I'm uh, an elder serving here uh, at Illuminate. I'm also serve as treasurer. And one of the fun things, if you will, about being treasurer is I get to talk about banking and finance. <laughs> so I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes about that. That's not a fun conversation. Well, just wait till I tell you what we've got going on. Um, it, many of you are not aware that when we first purchased this building about a year or so ago, um, the bank was aware of our BSD journey, and they were aware that it sort of culminated to some degree on December 31st of this year. Um, and they came to us and said, um, we've got a deal for you. Uh, we're willing to take your mortgage and recalculate it for every million dollars you put down on the mortgage. So you put a million down, they recalculate the mortgage, and they recalculate it, which means that our payment goes down about $6,000 per month. So every million dollars, our monthly payment goes down $6,000 a month. So uh, not only that, it gets recalculated at 3.5% interest, the same interest rate that we've had, which is phenomenal. And not only that, uh, there are no finance charges. Now, I don't know if you've done any mortgage banking or you run businesses and borrow money. This is kind of an unheard of deal. I've talked to a number of bankers and business guys, and they say, yeah, that's a unique opportunity. And as, as leadership, uh, we believe that this is an only God moment. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we have a unique opportunity between now and December 31st. Uh, we'd like to, if possible, Lord willing, to pay down $2 million additional on the mortgage note and contribute a million dollars into the building renovation um, project. That's $3 million. That's our goal between now and December 31st. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money, $3 million. And in these times, some of us um, just can't help. And so for you, this isn't a message for you. And for visitors, this isn't a message for the visitors. But for those that can help, then uh, I just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider helping. Uh, between now and the end of the year. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's an important thing for the church, I would say. Um, the other thing you should be aware of is that leaderships, our, our leadership has a, a, a compelling need for good stewardship. And, and, I, and I don't say that lightly. I'm, our, 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 our culture is that of a financial accountability. Your money is being well cared for, in other words. As a matter of fact, we have one of the top accounting firms in the country that uh, audits nothing but churches, and they do an annual review of our finances. So uh, we run a really tight ship. Um, all of that said, uh, we have between now and the end of the year uh, to sort of make this happen. And so I'd like you to prayerfully consider it. If you have any questions, um, I'll be in the lobby. Um, there, there's a sign there, bigger, smaller, deeper. I'll be standing there. Just look for the pink shirt. I'll have some elders with me as well, and we're happy to answer any question that you might have. Um, so again, like Jason said, thank you so much for your generosity. It's mm. super appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Will you show some, some love to Earl, please? Thanks, man. I appreciate it.
And like Earl said, the reality is, I was just talking to a, one, one of our um, sweet attendees who is, has lost her job and she's struggling a little bit, worried about what's next for her. She's sort of in the twilight season of her career. And I said, listen, this is probably an opportunity for us to help you, right? And so there are different ways that we can do that. You noticed uh, last week I mentioned Financial Peace University. If you feel like having a hard time getting a hold of things, what's next, even maybe help with some resume building and things like that, we want to help you do that. And so please contact us. That information is on our website and let us help you in that way. But we at least wanted you to know that because again, you know, that's on, that's on us for not communicating some of the details of this arrangement, which again, we, it was extremely unique. So anyways, if you need a bank, go to Thrivent. They're owned by Lutherans. Uh, and they, <laughs> they were gracious with us, right? They were gracious with us. So anyways, as we end our time together, guys, I just want to say again, thank you. You know, thank you for your incredible generosity with your time, talents, and treasures. I've said this before. I'm so proud. I am so proud of this church. And it's a godly pride because God is the one who does it. It's exactly what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. If you know us as leadership, we have good hearts, but we certainly are far from knowing everything. And so everything that we do, we want it to be under God's hand of blessing. So pray with me. Father, this is an amazing time in the life of this specific body of believers. And Lord, we just want to be faithful with all that you have given to us. You know, these needs do come about as a result of you doing your work. And the reality is, as the scriptures say, it takes resources, but you have entrusted those resources to your people. God, I pray that we would be faithful to them. I pray that your spirit would be nudging every heart in the room and that they would be having that conversation. Lord, with what you have entrusted to me, what is my responsibility here, even specifically to my church family. We're grateful for allowing us to participate in such an amazing event last night that really represents your heart well to our community. We think of Tyson and his testimony and his word. God, we just want more of that. And, and it's, just, it's just awesome to be a part of. And we're humbled by it. God continued to do more than we could ever ask or think. More only God moments are ahead. We really believe that because of who you are. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen.